Welcome to the Flint Citadel's podcast of our Sunday morning worship service, a weekly production of the Salvation Army Flint Citadel Corps. It's, uh, it's funny how if I was to go around our congregation this morning and ask, how did you find your way to the Salvation Army in the first place? What brought you to the Salvation Army? Usually the story will evolve something along the lines of, I was talking to so and such, or I had a friend who, and, and the story would evolve in that way. That's how it was for my family. We were going to a, a Nazarene church out in Missoula, Montana, and uh, my sister got invited to be part of a group called Sunbeams. We, uh, Sunbeams, we never heard of that. But she was enjoying her friend's fellowship time, and so she started going to Sunbeams. And we started coming in for little award ceremony things and, and sort of seeing what the Army was about. And the next thing you knew, they sucked us in. And they got us busy. They got us saved, and they got us busy. And that's the way Andrew did things, too. The disciple Andrew, um, he was a disciple of Christ, of course, but... He was from the city of Bethsaida, and that was in an area near the Sea of Galilee. He and his brother Peter were fishermen, and uh, it was Andrew who, in fact, introduced his brother Peter to Jesus. And according to the Gospel of John, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, tradition has it that Andrew preached in various regions and and started a, a church in Constantinople. And in at least one account, there's a statement that he was one who refused to make sacrifices to heathen gods. And like many cultures and people, if you didn't merge and blend in, well, then you were ostracized and even beaten. 
And in fact, Andrew was crucified for his beliefs. Well, he hung on that cross for approximately two days. And during that whole time, he spent that time praising God. I'm not sure if I'm strong enough to pull that off. But Andrew was. Well, this morning, we're going to hear more and consider the life and ministry of Andrew as one of Jesus' first disciples. He's a great example of a person who might bring others into a closer encounter with Christ. And perhaps this morning, after we have heard the words that have been inspired for our ears, maybe we might be inspired to bring others to the Lord as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunities that you give to us. Help us to be aware of these opportunities, Lord. Help us to uh, see your leading. Help us to be uh, warmed in the heart that we might see it right at that moment and say, oh, Lord, you're giving me this great witness opportunity. Father, power us up. Give us that strength and that energy that it would take to say, I've got something more to do right now, but I really should take a break right now and, and take advantage of the opportunity you've given me, Lord. And as we worship this morning, hold us up, Lord. Help us to be accountable for all that we say and all that we do. For it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. Let's worship together. Good morning. We're going to um, sing Are You Washed? And we're going to sing the first and the last verse. Characteristically, the man who was prepared to take second place. Again and again, he is identified as Simon Peter's brother. It is clear that he lived under the shadow of Peter. People might not know who Andrew was, but everyone knew Peter. Andrew was not one of the inner circle of the disciples. When Jesus healed Jairus' daughter, when he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, when he underwent his temptation in Gethsemane, it was Peter, James, and John whom he took with him. It would have been so easy for Andrew to resent this. Was he not one of the first two disciples who ever followed Jesus? Did Peter not owe his meeting with Jesus 
to Andrew, but all that never even occurred to Andrew. He was quite content to stand back and let his brother have the limelight. He was quite content to play a humble part in the company of the Twelve. To Andrew, matters of precedence and place and honor mattered nothing at all. All that mattered was to be with Jesus and to serve him as well as he could. Andrew is the patron saint of all who humbly and loyally and ungrudgingly take second place. Please join me in our responsive reading. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they all Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him. We have found the Messiah, that is Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which we have translated as Peter. It takes, it takes humility uh, to be able to uh, serve the Lord and, and not always be in the limelight, doesn't it? Um, Andrew knew that. He knew what it was to serve God and to get very little acclaim, very little attention. Um, for some of us, that can be a real challenge. For others, that just fits our personalities great. But the song we're going to uh, sing next asks for a humbler walk with God. Um, not many people ask for humbler circumstances in life. Not many people ask for a more humble relationship with God. But I hope you'll consider um, that when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, he rewards the humble heart. So let's um, ask him this morning for that. We're going to sing the first and second verse. Um, I'll read the third and then we'll sing the fourth.
focus of this humbler, holier walk is to be closer to the Lord. Oh, for a nearer walk with God. Lord, turn my wandering heart to thee. Help me to live by faith in him who lived and died and rose for me. Let's sing together the fourth verse. Lord, send that were given to me this morning, one for Lisa Bell's grandfather, Grandpa Mer no, Grandpa Mangold. He fell and broke his hip and is having surgery today, and he's in his 80s. So uh, we need to remember him in prayer. Also, uh, Candace called and said that her cousin Trish, Trisha, Trish, has um, had problems again with, uh, with uh, drug abuse, uh, had to have her stomach pumped in the hospital, very serious, she overdosed. And um, as you would remember, Candace was taking care of little Quinn earlier uh, last year when she was having other problems. And uh, she's just very concerned both for Trish and for the baby. So keep them in prayer. I sent out a prayer update so you can remember that. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, this morning, we would ask that you would help us to walk with you nearer and nearer. Lord, that you would help us to walk in humility and holiness through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the answers to prayer and for those answers that are yet to come. Thank you, Lord, for the example you gave us in the life of your servant Andrew. He is a man with whom many of us can identify. He expressed doubts at times. He, he didn't always understand your teaching and he occasionally lacked faith. But Lord, he did persist. And again and again, he introduced people to your son, Jesus. Repeatedly, he included people in the circle of his love and the circle of your love, Lord. We need more Andrews. Help us to be like him today. We come to you this morning with joy because we come to worship you, our creator, our sustainer, our king. May our worship bring joy to your heart, Lord. Oh, Lord, and might you speak to each one of us as we lift up your name this morning, for it is in that name, the wonderful name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So you stand as we sing and worship to God. Um, as we've been learning today that um, Andrew was humble and he recognized Jesus as his king. 
But as he was on the cross, he praised him. And uh, there's a time for joy and there's a time for uh, reflection. So we're going to sing the song Joyful, Joyful. And there's a little bit of an addition of a chorus that, and a new arrangement I found. And so just follow along as best as you can. And uh, we're going to sing the first, second, and third verses. Adoration to our joyful King. You are spinning, you are singing, a zealous love over all your children. We sing in jubilation, adoration to our joyful King. You are spinning, you are singing, a zealous love over all your children. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord above thee. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, open to the sun above. Melt us out the sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, with the light of day. All thy works. All thy works with joy surround the earth and have reflect the rays. Stars and angels sing around the center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, fill and mountain. Chanting bird and flowing mountain Call us to rejoice in thee Mortals join the mighty chorus Where the burning stars begin Father, love is reigning over Brother, love binds man to man Ever singing, marching on With victors in the midst of strife Joyful music lifts us onward In the triumphs of
Well, they might have been small in number, but they sure packed a punch. Back in the uh, 15th century, in a tiny village near Nuremberg, Germany, there lived a family with 18 children. Obviously, this was a day before birth control. In order to um, keep food on the table for such a large family, the father had to work up to 18 hours a day at his trade as a goldsmith, and he also picked up whatever work was available in the neighborhood, whatever he could find. But despite all of this hard work and his wife's care for his children, only three of those children survived into adulthood. It was a different day and age. This morning I want to tell you about two of his children that did survive to be adults, Elbricht and Albert. When the boys were old enough, around the age of 14, they began to work with their father as apprentices in the um, goldsmith shop. Even though that really wasn't where their true passion lies, uh, they weren't that interested in goldsmithing. Instead, both of these brothers had the dream to someday become an artist. In fact, uh, this picture here is a self-portrait drawn by Albrecht when he was only 13 years old. But with all the financial strain that was being placed upon their father, he couldn't afford to send even one of them to the um, Art Academy in Nuremberg, let alone to send both of them. What made this family unique isn't the challenges that they faced. We all have to face the harsh realities of life, don't we? But this morning, I hope what is unique, what is instructive and helpful for us is how they chose to deal with these obstacles and how they responded to the twists and turns of life. You guys know about the twists and turns of life, don't you? Just when you think you're going one way, things can change. Please open your Bible to John chapter 1, starting with the 35th verse. In this passage, we get a, a glimpse of the uh, early ministry of Jesus. And as we pick this story up in verse 35, it's, uh, it's some time after John the Baptist has uh, encountered Jesus and Jesus has been um, baptized by him. Uh, somewhere in here may come the 40 days of testing in the wilderness. But now uh, this, this series of events is really Jesus' coming out event. He's announcing the beginning of his ministry. Let's read. This is the scripture we used as a responsive scripture. Again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He found first his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, 
son of John. You should be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, there are four individuals mentioned in this passage here. Jesus, John the Baptist, Andrew, and Simon Peter. But let me ask you, which of these four, which of these do you know the least about? I'm going to guess, for most of us, it's Andrew. There's really not much in the scriptures about him. He's not one of the key players, not one of Jesus' inner circle. But when you consider what Andrew accomplished, you find that he really was quite remarkable. Andrew was one of the first of a handful of people who recognized Jesus as the promised Messiah. Interestingly, though, even in this passage, he's referred to as Simon's brother. Now, I know how Andrew must have felt because I grew up as Paul Augustine's brother. Paul, he's my next older brother. And I know um, you'll find this hard to believe, but Paul was always the handsome one. He, he was always the athletic one. He was always the popular one. As a matter of fact, this, this ran into my adulthood because when we were being farewell to the training college at pilgrimage camp, uh, the D.C. ran into my brother Paul and went around introducing him as me, as the guy who was going to the training college. And my brother played along with it. Well, enough airing of old grudges. Let's get back to Andrew. So far as we know, Andrew performed no mighty deeds. There's no record of him preaching any uh, great sermons, none contained in the scriptures at least. He did nothing extraordinary that we would classify as outstanding. And uh, he almost immediately had to take a back seat to his more dynamic brother, Peter. You know, Andrew had every excuse to feel slighted and to feel ignored. Let's go back for a minute to um, those two brothers, Albert and Albrecht. They both had a dream to go to Nuremberg to study art, but their family just didn't have the means to even let one of them go. So the two boys got together and discussed it, and they worked out a plan. They decided they would, they would toss a coin, and the loser of that toss would... Um, go down into the nearby mines and work and with his earnings support his other brother while he attended the art institute. And then when that four years was up, they'd switch places and the other brother would earn money and let the brother go and do his time at the academy. So one Sunday morning after church, that's just what they did. They tossed a coin and Albrecht won the toss and so he went off to Nuremberg to study art while his brother Albert went down into the mines for the next four years to finance his brother's education. Almost immediately upon arriving in Nuremberg, Albrecht became a sensation. He was just immensely talented. His, um, his etchings, his woodwork, and even his oil paintings were far superior to most of his professors. And by the time he graduated, uh, he was earning considerable fees for his commissioned works. Meanwhile, 
There was Elbert slaving away in the mines to pay for Elbrick's training. In some ways, Albert was like the Apostle Andrew. Supportive role, serving role. When Andrew found Christ, he immediately thought of his brother Peter. And he ran to tell him and to bring him to Christ. That was the first thing on his mind. Andrew didn't just think about himself. His first impulse was to think about others. And here's what happened. Peter met Christ. Peter became one of Jesus' top disciples. He went on to be one of the most powerful leaders in the early church. And today, he is one of the most beloved and respected saints in the history of the world. These are just the facts. This is how history records it. There are plays, books, masterpieces in art, and movies where Peter is the central character. He's reputed to be the rock upon which Christ would build the church. The Catholics look at him as their first pope. Tradition says that he holds the keys to heaven. And when you think about it, there's a lot of uh, St. Peter jokes, but not too many St. Andrew jokes. If uh, Major Reed was here... I would check with him and see if there are any. But always around, every way you look at it, Peter gets all the attention. Andrew kind of overlooked. Yet look at what Andrew accomplished through his simple faith. Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. Without Andrew, we would never have heard about Simon Peter. He would have lived and died in obscurity. And yet it's Andrew who is almost all but forgotten. Well, let's go back to uh, Elbrick and Elbert for a minute. When Elbrick returned home after his great success at the Art Academy, the family held a big festive dinner and, and they celebrated his homecoming, a hometown hero. After the meal, Elbrick rose from his honored position at the head of the table and um, expressed his deep appreciation to his brother Albert for all those years that he sacrificed in that mine so that he could fulfill his passion. Here's what his closing words were. And now, Albert, blessed brother of mine, now it is your turn. Now you can go to Nuremberg to pursue your dream and I will take care of you. Everyone turned and looked at Albert. Tears were were streaming down his face and slowly he, he stood to his feet and he said, Thank you, my brother, but no, I cannot go to Nuremberg. It's too late for me. Look at what four years in the mine have done to my hands. The bones in every finger have been smashed at least once and lately I've been, having, I've been suffering from arthritis so badly that my right hand can't even hold a glass to return your toast much less make delicate lines on parchment or canvas with a pen or a brush. No, my brother, for me, it is too late. Can you imagine the deep, bitter disappointment that he must have felt? Yet for over four years, he supported his brother's success. And in that time, he never complained. 
He never burdened his brother with his own problems. Albert was the kind of guy who was willing to help others realize their dreams. One day Jesus was on the mountain teaching a huge crowd that had assembled when um, he realized that they had gone through the lunch hour and these people were, were getting hungry. The disciples' immediate response to this problem was, Lord, just send them away, tell them to go home. They can find their own food. But guess who steps forward? Andrew. He emerges from the background, finds a young boy and his lunch of a little bit of bread and a couple fish. Can you imagine Andrew with great faith bringing this small boy and his small lunch to Jesus? Have you ever had someone come to you all excited about some ridiculous, unrealistic plan? Don't get any ideas, Dave, for changing the lights in here. I have. I've had people come with these, uh, you know, elaborate plans that are totally impractical. But, but I just want to tell you, be careful how you respond. It might just be that combined with a little faith, that ridiculous plan might just bring miraculous results. In the hands of Jesus, this little boy's simple lunch became enough to feed a crowd of, of many thousands of people. Andrew's act shows us that God can use whatever we bring to him when it's brought with faith. Andrew brought this child, and this child brought his little lunch. What good was any of that? Most of us probably wouldn't even have bothered Jesus with it. But Jesus took their faith, and he did the impossible. Andrew also demonstrates the power of bringing children to Christ. God bless those of you here who have worked with young people. Some of you have worked with young people in the past. Some of you are working with young people today. Do you realize how the kingdom of God can be impacted by the children you minister to? Just think of the, the officers alone that have come from the Flint Citadel. Just think the impact they have had. They were once little kids running around, getting under people's feet, driving them nuts. Don't ever underestimate the impact you can have by introducing little children to Jesus. By getting them involved in church and Sunday school and youth activities. By telling them the stories of Jesus. By introducing them to the power of the scriptures. By teaching them how to pray. By leading them to understand that some things are right and some things are wrong. Don't underestimate the power of that. But even more, let them see you loving Christ, worshiping together serving here in the core and living the faith every day with your heart, with your soul, and with your strength. That's one thing we can learn from Andrew, to bring our brothers and sisters to Christ, to bring children to Christ. Look what Andrew's simple act of faith brought into being. And that's happening today 
in the lives of the, the kids. I was just talking with someone who remarked on how, um, how better schooled they think our children are in the scriptures and in, um, in the things of God. Um, there, there's reason to be encouraged and, and you guys working with the young people are doing a great job. Back to Albert and Elbrecht. If you know anything about the world of art, and Rachel does, she has a degree in like art history, right? Something like that. You'll know the name Elbrecht Durer, whose name I probably slaughtered and mispronounced. That's a U with an umlaut. Um, he is considered to be perhaps the greatest German art, artist of the Renaissance era. And his brother Albert, also a budding artist, um, is completely unknown. <laughs> he lived his life out in obscurity and has been all but forgotten. Albrecht Dürer was a man of God. He recognized that his artistic talent was a gift from God and because of that he set a very high standard for himself and his work because he knew that through that work he could glorify his creator. And if you go on the internet and just do a search of his life and his work, he does beautiful um, etchings of the um, book of Revelation and the end times. Most of his works are religious in nature. Um, look, at, look at some of his work. You should remember some of this if you did art in school. He did beautiful renderings of, um, of animals and creatures and scriptural subjects. Many of his illustrations were designed to be used by teachers and by the clergy. And in a day before there was widespread literacy, they were important devotional tools because with those pictures, they could tell stories, just like the stained glass windows were used in that way. In a sense, Albert's artwork was evangelistic in that it brought people closer to their creator. Like Andrew, he brought people, even children, into the presence of Christ. And Andrew went a step farther. He also introduced people who were very different than himself. Look at uh, John chapter 12, verses 20 through 25. This is towards the end of um, Jesus' ministry. John 12, 20 through 25. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Andrew knew all about taking second place. He knew all about bringing people, all sorts of people, into the presence of Jesus Christ. He brought his brother. He brought a child. And he brought the Greeks, people very different from him. Andrew just couldn't keep Christ to himself. And this, I think, 
was the greatness of Andrew. He was so excited about what he had found in Jesus Christ that he couldn't sit still. He couldn't keep Jesus to himself. Let me conclude my story about Albrecht and Albert. One day to um, pay homage to Albert for all that he had sacrificed, Albrecht Durer painstakingly drew his brother's abused hands. Those same hands that hoped one day to be an artist but had been mangled working in the mines to finance Albrecht's art training. He drew those hands, as you can see, with the, with the palms together, the fingers stretched toward the sky. And he entitled this powerful drawing simply, Hands. But almost immediately, the entire world renamed this tribute of love as the Praying Hands. You see them all over the place. They are reproduced. You get little pins. Here on the altar is a... Um, 3D recreation of that work, um, the, the praying hands are all over the place. And next time you see a copy of this touching creation, take a second look. Let it remind you that no one, no one ever makes it in life alone. And no one makes it into eternity alone either. We really do need each other. We need to serve and help one another. We need to introduce all kinds of people to Christ. We need to be like Andrew. He just served in his humble, unassuming way. He just did what needed to be done without fanfare. No complaining, no griping, no questioning, no belly aching, no jealousy. Andrew was too big for that kind of pettiness. To Andrew, all that mattered was to be with the Lord and to serve Him as well as he could and to bring others to Him. Sounds like a pretty smart way to live your life, doesn't it? Andrew's life and impact were magnified through the people that he brought to Christ, like ripples on still water. It's my prayer that today, each of our lives may exhibit that same ripple effect for Christ. We see it at work in this Flint Citadel Salvation Army, the ripples that go out from generations before us. We're sending out ripples too. May, may God be blessed and honored by the legacy we leave. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for Andrew, and for the example of his life, a man who served you uh, with no thought for his own position, for his own recognition, simply serving you and doing what he could. And Lord, I thank you that uh, the spirit of Andrew lives on today. How much we need believers who are willing to uh, shoulder the load, to think of others first, to bring people to Jesus. Lord, I thank you for so many here in this place who are intent on doing just that. Lord, might they find great satisfaction in serving you and in knowing that um, someday when we, when we stand before you, we'll hear your well done. 
So God, I pray that you would challenge us. Lord, that you would uh, direct us. Lord, that you would help us to invest our lives not in the things that bring the world's attention or even the attention of other believers, but, Lord, things that would bring your praise, would build your kingdom. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, this is such a hard lesson to remember. Everything in our society and much in the church contradicts it. A servant is the last thing most of us really want to be. Our insecure hearts long for recognition, position, fame. But humility, real humility, is as powerful as it is rare. It is the surest path to blessing and to your overflowing, enabling grace. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name, give us a servant's heart. Amen. Would you sing with me, please, to be like Jesus for our closing benediction? This has been the weekly podcast of the Flint Citadel's Morning Worship Experience. We hope you were blessed. Join us again for next week's service. Better yet, join us in person anytime at the Citadel, located in the heart of downtown Flint, at 211 West Gersley Street, where you're always among friends. For more information about the Salvation Army in Flint and our worship times and weekly activities, visit us online at www.flintcitadel.org or call us at area code 810-232-2199. Thanks for listening.